We've been uh, working these weeks on uh, shaping a biblical worldview. That's been our focus throughout uh, March. And so we, uh, we've been looking at life from God's perspective uh, as it really is, not just from a limited human perspective, but seeing life from God's point of view. We built this whole series around uh, questions. Um, so a lot of different questions we've been raising. Um, one of the first questions was, why, why does it really matter uh, what I believe? I can't see you guys over there very good, so I'm going to move over here. It's kind of odd here. I just wanted the cross to be in the center here uh, for us today, so thanks for that. Um, why does it really matter what I believe? Remember we talked about uh, the, this whole idea that... Uh, uh, People can try to be sincere and say, I sincerely believe this. We call it the sincerity myth. Uh, the fact that you can be sincerely wrong. Uh, you can be sincerely make mistakes. Uh, we've all done that. Uh, so we're looking for a foundation beyond, beyond just our perspective. We talked about uh, truth and how do we know what is true. Uh, just trying to think through uh, what is somebody else's perspective of truth related to what God has to say to us. Uh, last week we talked about why the world is so messed up. Um, and if you missed any of those, you can go back and listen to those. Um, we've been, we talked about the scripture that's there that will be listed for you there. And then also some different postures that we take. And we'll end with those postures again uh, today. So uh, our, our focus today is um, what, what's, what's really the solution? Uh, if everything is messed up and the world is around, the world is full of problems, uh, this planet that we live on, that we live in, is full of sin and evil around us. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No relationship is perfect. Nothing really works perfectly. So we need a solution to not only the world's problems, but what's really the root problem that's going on with us. And so that's kind of the end of our perspective here. You know, there's a lot of approaches to solving the symptoms of the world. Uh, we see it all around us. You can see the symptoms, uh, all the different approaches uh, that are there. Uh, but unless you figure out what the root problem is, uh, it really doesn't uh, come to grip. You know, I noticed that everyone seems to have an opinion on how to fix us. Uh, you know, it might be a product. Oh, if you just, this product is just going to make a, or, you know, a certain fashion, if you, if you look a certain way. Uh, you know, everybody's got it. So I'm, I'm going to give you, at the beginning here, just some ways that the, the world tries to deal with our problems and end up with a, a biblical perspective. Um, first of all, there's the political approach, right? Change what people do meaning changing the, uh, by laws, uh, changing what people do. You're all familiar with that. Uh, you, know, you basically solve the world's problems by passing laws and creating policies, resolve the world and personal problems through politics. Uh, the truth is a lot of people believe that, try to get the government to solve everything. Um, you know, if, if they think that the government is uh, kind of going to be that solution, it's like salvation by legislation. Anybody, anybody believe in that in this room? Uh, we, we recognize that. You know, laws make people behave a certain way, but they don't necessarily change who you are. Uh, they don't change our attitudes, our perspective. So salvation by legislation is not the answer to our problems. Uh, there's a second one. is an educational approach. This is where uh, we seek to change what people know. Uh, you know, if you can just get people educated, everybody taught, everybody uh, learning things, then we are going to be better off. You know, the, um, most of the 
schools, most of the educational institutions that we know about started, were started by Christians. You know, we believe in education. You know, Harvard and Yale and Princeton, those started out as religious schools. Uh, so many of them did. Christianity has had this educational emphasis all throughout its history. Uh, not only the schools, but even hospitals, mostly started by Christians uh, because of care and compassion. So we obviously believe in education, but we don't believe in salvation by education because the reality is education is not enough. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I mean, there's a lot of criminals and dictators and people that were very well educated. Uh, that wasn't the root of the issue. The issue. Uh, there's another one. How about we call this one the material uh, approach. Uh, this one is a financial approach to the world's problems. It's just if, if you give people better economy, if you have more money, then you're going to be a, you're better off. It's like salvation by com compensation. Um, do you think that one's true? No, no matter how much money you have, you can have more money and still be miserable and still not be right on, uh, on the inside. There are all kinds of versions of that, uh, and we want to help people. Christianity, our church, we believe in helping other people, but we recognize that that is not simply enough in itself. How about psychological? That's an opinion that people have. Just help people feel better. Uh, to relate together, uh, together better. It's a relationship. Um, we recognize that. You know, if we just get people feeling better about things, uh, but that doesn't work by itself either. There's a biological approach. You see this one a lot in our society. It's like, let's just make our bodies the best that they are. If we got good bodies, everything else will work out well. Um, you know, there's all the you hear all this stuff about gene mapping and DNA and stem cells and even cloning. You know, there are people out there that just think if we just get the perfect body, then everything will be fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's salvation by medication. Like, let's just figure out we'll have a pill for everything. You know, just, uh, does that work? No, some of you struggle with that as well. Uh, one I didn't even add there is like salvation by technology. Some people think, let's just have salvation by, by innovation and technology and believe. You know, I, I use the Internet. I use the technology all the time, but it's not the Savior. Biblically, we recognize that if there's going to be real change, it has to come through the change of our heart. Uh, you have to change the hearts of people if there's going to be any long-term change. The biblical approach, God's way, is that change of the heart, change that comes through transformation. You know, God specializes in that. Uh, he is into changing prejudiced people into loving people and hateful people into kind people and self-centered people into unselfish people. And there is no law that will teach you how to do that. Only God can accomplish that. It is salvation by transformation. And it starts in the heart and it starts right in your heart, in, your, in the inside. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's, that's the root. That's the, uh, the key part of the problem. It's like I heard this story. It's an old story, but um, a father who was trying to read the newspaper, um, 
and his son was bored and kind of bugging him. I'm sure it never happens to you, but, you know, you got, he's just bored. He's wanting something to do. And so um, dad looks over and there's a magazine laying beside him there. So he picks up the magazine and he sees this map of the world on one of the pages. So he's like, oh, that's a great idea. He rips out the map of the world and starts tearing it into pieces. And then he laid it over on a table for his son to, to he said, okay, just uh, put, the, put the world back together. Uh, about 15 minutes. The kid is back. It's all perfect, all taped out. And his dad is like, what? How could you possibly do that? He said, oh, that was easy. There was a picture of a man uh, on the backside, and I just put the man together, and the world came together. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? We let God change the man, change the woman, change our hearts, who we are, and then the world begins to fit together. Uh, Christ is the answer to that, changing our hearts. So we live in a broken place. Um, we, we have a lot of different diseases. What I'm going to do you here is give you kind of some things we deal with in our heart, uh, some of the symptoms that we deal with, and then look at how Christ on the cross impacts those needs in, uh, in our life. So five kind of heart diseases. Now, I'm not talking about physical heart disease. I'm talking about uh, universal heart diseases that affect human beings. Um, one heart disease that we have is, we'll call this guilt, guilt. And the symptoms are that I feel worthless. Guilt, I feel worthless. The reason guilt comes to all of us is nobody's perfect. We all blow it. We all don't measure up. It's, you know, it's impossible to be really happy and filled with guilt at the same time uh, because guilt, the symptom is that it makes us feel worthless. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 40, verse 12, uh, I was so swamped by guilt that I couldn't see my way clear. I had more guilt in my heart than hair on my head. That might be a little difficult for some of you. But, uh, but. The guilt was so heavy, he said. My heart was so heavy. Um, he said he, he began to, to feel a sense of worthlessness uh, in his life. That, that's one of the diseases, one of the needs of our heart that God seeks to address. Guilt where I feel worthless. Second problem. Uh, we'll call this one addiction. Addiction. There are things in your life that are not good, but you do them anyway. And there are things in your life that are very good, but you don't do them. There are all these compulsions or habits uh, that we have, and then many of them are self-defeating against us. You know, we do it all the time, don't we? Uh, we, we do the things we really don't want to do, and the things we ought to be doing, we pass them up and, do, and not do them. You know, we could talk about exercise or eating right or different things that come into our life. And one of the problems with addictions is that you feel powerless. Addictions, I feel powerless to change. That's a symptom. The symptom is that many people feel powerless. They not only feel worthless because of guilt, but powerless because of the addictions that happen in there, the, the habits, the actions of our life that we can't seem to change. One other uh, heart, number three, uh, we'll call this one alienation. Alienation. Guilt, addiction, alienation. Alienation means that you feel uh, disconnected. You feel disconnected from God, from other people. Um, it, it creates a sense of loneliness. Loneliness. Um, you know, I, I meet people often. Uh, we talk about it uh, related to man church and, and PFN women that so many people, they need friends. 
They, need, they, they don't need to see just somebody that's sitting in the same church building with them, but somebody that they can know, somebody that can love them because there's this sense of alienation in the world around us, and we feel lonely, and we feel uh, disconnected. Uh, you know, loneliness says, I, I don't feel like I can get close to anybody. There's not this soul-to-soul or heart-to-heart uh, intimacy in my life. You feel separated. Did you know that there are married people that feel lonely? Don't say amen or anything. They might get on you about that. Yeah, you can be married, living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, and feel totally disconnected. See, that's the kind of world that we live in, where we uh, allow the things that have happened to us and the circumstances and the relationships that we have to create alienation and, and loneliness. There are a lot of people lonely uh, today. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons you, you got to come to church and you got to get connected to know some other people. You know, all that greeting we do and shaking hands and all that stuff, you know, that's not just being nice. I want you to know people. I want you to make some friends. I don't want you to live in loneliness. Christ came to keep you from alienation and being alone. Guilt, addiction, alienation. How about this? Uh, heart disease is confusion. Confusion. Confusion in your heart creates a feeling of kind of drifting or aimless. Uh, in other words, I don't really know where I am or what's happening in my life, where I'm going. Uh, a lot of, of drifting you know, that creates uh, distraction and confusion. I mean, the longer you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the deeper a sense of purpose uh, comes to us. You know, you forget how lousy your life was before you met Christ. You forget how miserable you were. You know, before maybe you were just getting up in the morning and going to work and coming home and watching TV and going to bed. And you just do that over and over and over again and it gets wearisome and you drift along. It's not a new problem. It's a problem that's been there for centuries. Jesus said, looking out over the crowd, his heart broke for them because they were so confused and aimless like sheep without a shepherd. So it's not a 21st century problem. Uh, no politics, no education, no amount of money, none of those things can solve that. It starts with the heart. One more. Guilt, I feel worthless. Addiction, I feel powerless. Alienation, I feel loneliness. Confusion, I feel aimless and drifting. Number five, worry. Worry. Worry is a universal heart disease. People worry in every situation, every culture. What's the, what's the, you know, the, the visible symptom of worry is I feel restless. I feel restless. You know, when people worry... They feel restless. You feel disengaged. You feel anxious. You feel uncertain. The Bible says, my thoughts are restless and I am confused, Psalm 55. Proverbs 12 says, an anxious heart weighs a person down. I mean, when you're worried, you're weighed down. You're not happy. You're not fulfilled. You're weighed down and it creates restlessness. Uh, you look at all these heart diseases and you look at the world that's around us and they try to find ways to solve all of those. But I'm telling you today, the only way to solve the problems of the world, the problems of our heart is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ specializes in heart transplants. The Bible says that I will give them a new heart and a new mind. I mean, that's what we're proclaiming on this Palm Sunday, how Jesus Christ brings about change and transformation. You know, how do you measure 
your relationship with God? How do you measure if you are uh, in a right relationship with him? If you're saved, uh, you measure it by how your heart has been transformed. It's not just on the outside. Maybe you go to church now more than you've ever gone to church. That's not the measure. You should go to church. You should pray. You should be in the word of God. But the real measure is, has my heart been changed? Have I been transformed by what he did for me on the cross? So how did Jesus' death on the cross solve our problems? How, did, how was it accomplished? We can see uh, this, um, this amazing cross sitting up here today. Uh, you know, this is our symbol, right? I mean, this, is our, this, this one thing is our symbol of who we are uh, in Christ. I mean, millions of people, I mean, you can find crosses everywhere. They're on buildings. Uh, they're in cemeteries. Some of you wear them on necklaces. I mean, why would this instrument of death be our symbol of hope? I mean, it's not really all that pretty. Uh, it's nothing, nothing magical about it, but it's a symbol of hope. Why did Jesus cross solve our biggest problem. I mean, it's, it's recognizing that he goes down to the root. Uh, and if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, you, you, you need to know this, right? I mean, people might ask you, well, what, why do y'all have a passion play? Why do you do all that? Uh, well, there's some very good reasons why we do that, why we celebrate the cross uh, on a day like today, why we would share in communion together. So I'm going to give you... Um, five different things about the cross that kind of relate to these heart problems uh, that we have. Number one, how Jesus' death on the cross solved our problems. One is, on the cross, Jesus took my place and my punishment. My place and my punishment. On the cross, Jesus took on himself what you and I deserved, what the punishment that you and I, he stood in our place. Uh, Romans 3.25 says, God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger uh, toward us. Uh, the Bible says that Christ took away the curse of the law that was put on us. He changed places with us. He said, I'll go in your place. What does that mean? It means that nobody's perfect. None of us have measured up to the standards. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, every single one of us, every person in, in history. I mean, if you go out today and you speed down the freeway and the officer is sitting there, he is probably going to give you a ticket and you probably will have to pay it. You know, if you get in an accident, they may... Put blame on someone and give you a ticket because when you break man's laws, you pay man's penalties. When you break God's laws, you pay God's penalties. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means I deserve to die. I don't know if you noticed, but mortality is 100% sure. Like, I, I, we, don't, we don't meet anybody that's you know, that was here when Jesus was walking around. They all died. Uh, all of us are going to die. Uh, but Jesus, instead of us having, experiencing spiritual death, Jesus said, I'll do it for you. I will go in your place. I will pay for what you committed. The good news is the price has already been paid. You don't have to do it. He stepped in our place. It's like going into a, a restaurant and having dinner and somebody already paid for you. And you just go in and enjoy it. The Bible says that God did away with the old sacrifices, the Old Testament, where they brought animal sacrifices for the sins of the people, but they put 
Christ's sacrifice in our place. Jesus did what God wanted him to do, and we are purified from our sins. Our hearts are transformed by the offering of his body on a cross once and for all. That means he did it one time to save everybody. It is done. Nobody else has to deal with it. Nobody else has to die for it. Jesus hung up there for your hang-ups, for your problems. He was nailed to the cross so you could stop nailing yourself to the cross. He's transformed our heart. He has taken away our guilt. He got rid of it. He said, I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to know that I paid the price. You know, on the cross, one of the things Jesus said was, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. Because he wasn't. He came back to life three days later. He proved that he was who he said he was. It is finished. So what was finished? What was finished was the payment for all of your sin. The payment for everything that you've ever done. In fact, it is finished is a little Greek phrase, one word, testolate. And it would be like stamping on a bill that the bill is paid. I mean, how often do you think about a bill that you already paid? Like never right? That thing's gone. We don't think about that. You know, it it would be like a a certificate that someone would be given when they were set free from prison. They They had paid their due to society, and they would get a certificate, and it said, testolate, it's done. Everything's been done. Jesus is on the cross saying, I have paid for everything that you, that you have ever done. I mean, why would God do something like that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. He did it because he loves us. He made us. He loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us. No man, no woman will ever love you like Jesus. That's the good news. Uh, most people in the world are dying for somebody to accept them, somebody to forgive give them, somebody to help them deal uh, with their guilt. Jesus has accomplished it. It is finished. It is done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's no condemnation in it. Don't you, um, don't you feel like the devil does his best to try to make you feel condemned all the time? to make you feel bad about yourself. I mean, even if you're doing good, sometimes it just feels like here, here comes this idea or something from my past. I want you to know if you've accepted Christ, your sins are forgiven. That's stuff from your past. The devil can bring it up all he wants. God does not know what you're talking about. He's not holding that against you. Man, how freeing is that? That frees you from this sense of worthlessness to recognize that he went to the cross to forgive you and to take away your guilt. Number two, on the cross, Jesus bought my freedom. Jesus bought my freedom. First Timothy 2.6, he gave his life to purchase freedom for the pastors. Nope. <laughs> to purchase freedom for the wealthy people. Nope. To purchase freedom for everyone. That's you. He has bought your freedom. That's worth a woo for sure right there. I heard that. Uh, You know, he has set us free. He's uh, relieved us from the bondage that we were in. Um, You know, the Bible talks about us being slaves, being in bondage uh, to sin and the things around us. Uh, 2 Peter 2.19, the first part says, you are a slave to whatever controls you. 
So based on that kind of definition, we're all slaves to something. You could be a slave to your friends, a slave to your past, a slave to memories or guilt or things that have happened. You can just fill in the blank to what you're, what you're a slave to. Uh, the word says, don't be a slave of your desires living like people who don't know God. Are you a slave to something in your life, a slave to uh, a sinful desire or something in your life, something that you can, you can see or feel around you? The Bible says that we can become slaves. We can begin to live in appro- for the approval of other people. We can live for the approval of parents or a boss or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a spouse. He came to set us free from the slavery to our desires and from the slavery of other people. Freedom is what he has offered to us. I'll give you a picture of freedom uh, like for what the death of Jesus has done for us. If you can imagine, uh, back in a, in a biblical time, there would be a, maybe a busy marketplace that's going on, a lot of commerce, people all around selling things, clothes, uh, food, uh, animals for sacrifice. But in the center of the market is a very special place. It's a place that they're not selling items, they are selling people. As slaves. And to really picture this, you got to have picture yourself up on that auction block. Uh, you can see these people looking around at you, prospective buyers eyeing you, looking up and down, thinking of you as a thing, not a person. And the bids begin to start, and with each bid, they're shouting out and looking at you, and, and, and you, you're trying to look and see, are they kind, are they cruel, who do I really want to, uh, to be the one that buys me? But just as the auction is about to be over, there's a stranger that steps up from the side of the crowd, and he offers a bid that's a thousand times higher than any other bid that's been made for you. And there's no way anybody can match the bid. And as the auctioneer accepts quickly this bid, you look into his eyes and you realize that he's not there to buy you. He's there to free you. Praise God. He's there to set you free. That's what Christ did on the cross. He paid for you to be set free. He paid the price to set us free, and it was so high. It was such an amazing gift that I can never purchase it on my own. Psalm 47, 7 says, really, there's no such thing as self-rescue, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The cost of rescue is beyond our means. That's what Christ did uh, for us. The amazing truth, the price, the freedom has already been paid for. He's already set you free because of what he did on the cross of Christ. Are you excited? I don't know if you came in here feeling free today, but you should be free. You should have a lot of excitement. I mean, I just dressed for freedom today, man. uh, (laughs) This is our free day, right? Our celebration, not living with the guilt and the struggle of the past, recognizing the freedom that he has already purchased for you. It's already available. It's already there for you. Don't walk out of here with heaviness and guilt and struggle and addiction and all of those things. He has made you powerful because he's given you his freedom. Wow. Jesus took my place, my punishment. He was, he was in our place there. He was the one that bought freedom for us on the cross. Number three, he restored on the cross, he restored my relationship with God. He restored my relationship with God. Uh, The Bible word for it is reconciliation. Uh, It means that two parties are brought together who have been distanced by conflict. 
uh, two nations, two parties, two governments, two people uh, that are able to come together that were once apart and now they're brought together again. I mean, whatever you do in your life, there are many times that you need, uh, we need to be brought back together. You know, uh, I, I'm, I know you can't believe this, but once in a while, we might, uh, not very often, but once in a while, something kind of gets in between. Uh, you know, um, we, we got to reconcile. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the kiss of reconciliation, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To embrace and to know that, uh, you know, in your marriage, you could have you been separated. Uh, there could be some distance out there, and now, now you've brought it back together. That's what Christ did on the cross uh, for each of us, bringing us back together into a relationship with God. The truth is, most people in the world feel distant from God. Do you agree with that? Most feel distant from God. They don't feel close. They, don't, they feel like God is, there, if there is a God, that he's just watching out there uh, from a distance. You don't feel like your prayers go anywhere. And you feel like God is a million miles away and that God is not close. Um, the, you know, the Bible says that our sins, things in our life, separate us from God. But don't you notice, God doesn't wait for you to take the initiative. He's not waiting on you to run to him. He's running to you. He's already paid the price. He's already created the reconciliation. The bottom line is that God takes the initiative. I know how it is. You know, in a relationship, it's like, well, I'm not apologizing. I'll wait for them to apologize. You know, whenever she gets herself right, then, you know, we'll, we'll work this out. Right? Sorry. God doesn't wait for you. He's coming. He's after you. He lifts up the cross and he says... I've already done the work. I've already restored the relationship. Just come. Just come. One of the most amazing truths of the Bible is that God wants to be your friend. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Not a servant, not a slave. God wants you to be a friend. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. Uh, I want a relationship like that. He says, I want a relationship with you. Uh, God wants you to be connected to him. Uh, see, Jesus Christ is the, is the mediator. Uh, the mediator, I mean, you, you know about like um, mediation in business or divorce mediation. Husband and a wife are brought uh, together to try to resolve. And Jesus is the mediator. He's the one that stands between us and God. And we reach up in our relationship with God. One of our postures, remember? Uh, reaching up and joining hands with God. Jesus is the mediator that brings us together. What am I talking about? I'm saying that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, not only did he take your place and buy freedom, he restored your relationship uh, to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today, before we take communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer to receive Christ today. Because you don't have to do anything except receive what he has offered to you. He's already accomplished it. Make that decision today. Trust Christ. Number four, on the cross, Jesus gave, gave me a new identity. <laughs> he gave me a new identity. Now, Aren't there some things in your past that you would love to forget or something? You know, sometimes we just like to go into witness protection about something that happened uh, in our past, right? We like to get beyond that. Uh, we get preoccupied with that thing about discovering who we are or overcoming the things that have happened to us. You know, the world around us says that there are four ways that you're kind of identified. One is like your, uh, what you do. 
You're identified by your, your career or what you do in your life. Second is on the basis of your possessions, the things that you have. Uh, number three is the education, what you, what you know. And number four, how you look, your appearance. And our identity is sort of connected to those things. In Christ, our identity is so much deeper than that. It's at the core level, at the spiritual level. I mean, the best that the world can offer you is an extreme makeover. Right? Let's get you some new clothes. And a new haircut, whiten your teeth, and you know, you just you just look good. Extreme makeover. Maybe, maybe even change your name. What you experience in the cross of Christ, though, is that you just don't get an outward change. You get an inward transformation. See, all of us, I mean, you know, when you get saved, you look the same. Sorry to tell you. I mean, the hair is just still the same. Uh, you know. Clothes you wear, they're not. You know, he didn't, he didn't change your fashion. Now, some of you, you know, maybe. You, uh, no, what Christ does is brings about inner transformation for us. My identity is wrapped up in him. He talks about a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you meet Christ, when you receive Christ, when you became a Christian, there was a spiritual transaction that took place and everything about you on the inside changed. It became a matter of faith, not sight. It became where you were a believer, and suddenly uh, you look and feel different to yourself. The same old you, same personality maybe. I mean, you don't all of a sudden become an extrovert just because you've become a Christian. You know, you might still be quiet. You know, you don't all of a sudden crawl, you know, have a little uh, cocoon and the little caterpillar is in there and it comes out a butterfly. You come out a beautiful butterfly. You're a new creation uh, in Christ. Now, I'm not just talking about like positive thinking. or I'm just talking about, you know, positive thinking is like a caterpillar with wings glued on. You ever met a Christian like that? No, man. We come out of the cocoon. We've been set free. I've been set free from the guilt and the alienation, recognizing what he has done uh, in us and through us, and I am transformed. Glory to God. That's what he called uh, what, that's what he came to do uh, through the cross, such a transformation of his spirit uh, in us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Listen to this, Romans 6. Sin's power over us was broken when we become Christians and were baptized to become a part of Jesus Christ. Through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. And when God the Father, with glorious power, brought him back to life again, you were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. Whoo, that's great. Notice, did you notice that his right there? It doesn't say that you were given your new wonderful life to enjoy. It says you were given his new wonderful life uh, to enjoy in. And when you became a Christian, you have new life uh, in Christ. Uh, that's, that's the greatest news, recognizing what Christ has done for us. He has took our place, our punishment. He has bought our freedom. He's restored our relationship to God. He's given us a whole identity, wiped out the old, given us a brand new perspective, given us rebirth, the Bible says, born again. One more. On the cross, Jesus defeated death and the devil. On the cross, Jesus defeated death and the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Love that verse. 
What was the devil's work? The devil's work is to mess up your heart. The devil's work is to fill you with worry, to fill you with guilt, to fill you with resentment and anger and fear, to fill you with confusion, to feel worthless and helpless, homeless and driftless, uh, hopeless and drift, drifting along. The Bible says that God is love. He's not the one planting fear there. Uh, he has overcome death and overcome Satan. Satan loves to enslave us, but we have hope in Christ, recognizing what he has done for us. You know, I've, uh, I, I hope that you get to a place where you're not afraid to die. You, you know, I, I do a lot of funerals, um, and there is such a big difference between people that know Christ at funerals over against people that do not. I do a lot of funerals for people that I don't know, that you don't know, that don't come here. Uh, just part of being in the community there, but, you know, uh, there's such a difference there. I mean, you know, as Christians, we don't grieve for the person who died, right? We grieve for ourselves. We grieve because of our loss. We grieve, we grieve because we don't see them again. We grieve because um, we, we struggle with it. But if they're a believer, we know where they are, hallelujah. We don't, we don't grieve for them. We know that they are, if they know Christ, they are in a much better place, a place that we are all designed to go when we meet Christ. Uh, not afraid to die because I know where I'm going. I know that I'm a friend of God and I know where he's going to take me. Not afraid to meet God. I don't want to leave anybody anytime soon, but I've been walking with him for 40 plus years. Man, if, if I hadn't got it by now, good grief. Right? Don't let the world trick you into believing all these heart problems, recognize what Christ has come to do. He wants to be close to you. He wants to help you. He wants to minister so clearly to you. Uh, Colossians 2.15, there Christ defeated all powers of evil. What is he talking about? The cross. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. What's the whole point here? The point is that when you understand these things that the cross means to us, you know, overcoming feeling worthless and hopeless and helpless and powerless, you recognize that you are valuable because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You are loved through the cross of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. You are usable and filled with purpose because of the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the things we've been doing is these postures. Today, uh, in, the, in the notes, uh, I gave you a copy of all four postures. I know y'all been begging me for them, so I finally got them here. So um, my hope is that these four postures, the fourth one we're going to learn today, these four postures will become a visual way of you maintaining your relationship with Christ. And maybe you don't even like all that kind of stuff, but I know some of you will be helped by something visual that you can express uh, to God. Uh, so... Uh, I wrote all these out. Um, let's stand up. Stand up and talk about them. All right. The first one, we call this one fist up, hands high, right? Well, fist up and then hands high like this. So we start this one out, uh, fist up like this. I know you don't have your paper and it's not on the screen, so I'm just going to read you the prayer, all right? Our fists are up. We're recognizing that we're saying, Lord, I confess that I spend too much time defending and fighting for my own position, my attitudes, my opinions, my behavior. 
I confess that I often fight against you, your plans, and your will. Right? You have, you have to say that prayer sometimes, maybe often. Instead, hands high. This is an expression of surrender. And I say, I choose to hold my hands high. I surrender to you and your word. I choose surrender. I will follow Jesus. You want to say those words, don't you? I know you do. I'll say, I'll say it and you repeat after me. I choose to hold my hands high. I choose to hold my hands high. You sound sleepy and cold. All right. <laughs> We're going to start over again. This is our surrender. Well, uh, it says on the guide here, I want you to pray boldly. So even when you do this at home, say it loud. Say it out loud. Ready? I choose to hold my hands high. I choose to hold my hands high. I surrender to you. And your word. And your word. I, choose surrender. I choose surrender. I will follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Man, that's posture right there, isn't it? That's cross posture. Recognizing that I'm not fighting, I'm, I'm in surrender. Posture number two was uh, clenched fist. Uh, you remember we, uh, Dave was up here with me, and we clenched our fist over our chest like this. Um, recognizing we're going from clenched fist to reaching up and reaching to God and reaching over and joining my neighbor, uh, the people around me. So we start off here. The prayer says, Lord, I confess that I often live with a closed heart, thinking only of myself. I choose to seek my agenda and my plans and what I can control. Nod your head. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we do. You know, we talk a lot about being open and, you know, but we are very careful about who we let in here, right? So we keep it closed up and we control what we can control. Teenagers and all of us in this room, all you in the balcony. And so the Bible says, instead, I choose to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you feel that? Reaching up there and grabbing hands with God. And not only that, I reach over and grab my, my brother's hand, telling him that I'm going to love others. So the prayer is, I choose to love God, to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. I choose to love others, genuinely love others, not just those who are like me or those who love me or those who do things for me. I choose to love others the way that Jesus Christ has loved me and given himself for me. What a prayer. I'm holding on to God holding on to my people that I love around me, and my heart is open. My heart is open. Posture number two. We have two more. I'm teaching you these so you can practice. I'm not going to do these every Sunday, but I want you to practice these at home, right? All right. Uh, posture number three. Get my sheet here. This one we talked about last week. Posture number three is hands down, out to the side, palms away. It's almost like saying, I'm done. That, that's the picture there. I know you've done that, so you don't need a lot of prayer. I'm done. And you just kind of throw your hands out like that, and you get that look on your face, and I am done. Uh, that's the posture here. Uh, the, the posture that we did instead was to turn our palms up and to reach out, uh, reaching out to God. So here's the prayer. Palms down, out, back to the back. Lord, I confess that I spend too much time desperately trying to hold on to what I believe is mine. I confess that I am fooled into thinking that I am defined by what I have and what I do. I confess that I'm often frustrated 
by the people around me and the circumstances of my life. That sounds like that, right? We, we, we feel that frustration. Instead, hands out front, palms up. I choose to live with open hands. Open hands to you and to others. I choose to receive what you've offered to me. I accept what you've given. I choose to be content with the blessings I have received. I choose to serve God with all my gifts and give generously to others. Wow, what a posture. That compared to that. Last one. Last posture. All right, this posture begins like this. All right, let's talk about this posture right here. Um, how about you help me right here? Let's see if you can see it. You probably got to come up here. All right, you're standing right here, and your, your sweet little boy right here, Josh, is, um, is getting ready to come home. Now, what you're doing is you're giving commentary, all right? You ready? You ready for commentary? You know how you just kind of write, write what the story's about. So you are, um, yeah, just like that, and he's coming home. And here he comes. Would you come walking here? Would you give me a little commentary? What's happening? <laughs> Looks like he's in trouble, right? Yeah. Because she could probably give us a little facial. When she, you know, she's trying to be nice here. She knows I'm embarrassing her. I'm so sorry about that. Hey, don't, don't look at her. Look at yourself, right? Now, instead of arms like this, I'll tell you one more thing first. I, I was with these three guys the other day. They didn't know I was watching them. And so all three of them are standing in this little semicircle like this. And I thought, I wonder what in the world is going on right there. You know, and they're looking at something or whatever. And so I knew one of them, and I, a, little, a few minutes later, I said, I noticed y'all, you guys up there, and you got your arms off. I said, was that positive or negative? I, I, I couldn't tell. I had no idea what they were talking about. And he said, well... I think it was supposed to start out positive, like we were supposed to come up with some kind of solution. You know what? It, 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 it kind of turned critical, sarcastic, you know, just complaining about the situation like that. You can feel that with your arms shut like that, right, Ken? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about go back over there and then come back again in a minute? Okay, our response, instead of this, let's do this. Let's do this. Hey, give me some commentary now. Come on up. Embrace her. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Thank you. Man, what a posture difference between this and this. The embrace says, not just doing it my own way, God. I'm embracing your will. I'm embracing your mission. Not only that, I'm embracing the people around me. <laughs> you got the whole family today and all that. That's... All right, fold your arms. The prayer is, Lord, I confess that I spend too much time preoccupied with my own issues. I confess my cynicism, sarcasm, and my entitlement attitude. Instead arms lifted to embrace. 
I choose to live by embracing your ways and your mission. I choose to see the world and my life through your eyes. I choose to embrace your plans and purposes for me. I choose to embrace others on this journey. Ladies and gentlemen, that is worldview. I'm going to embrace God's way instead of just being all shut down in my own. We're going to have communion today. Our uh, servers are going to come. Cheryl's here at the table for us. The communion cup and bread is, uh, is kind of the ultimate symbol that God has given us. He said this bread was his broken body and the juice his shed blood. Let's, uh, let's pray for these elements. Uh, you can be seated as you're being served today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit in this room right now. I pray that your anointing would be on these elements. And as we have sought to examine our posture in relationship to the cross, in relationship to the sacrifice that you have made for us, Lord, we pray that you would break down the barriers of our own selfishness and help us to receive what you've brought to us through the cross. Bless these elements and those that serve us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let them serve us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a memory tool. He says, I don't want you to ever forget how much I love you. He died so that all the things that you feel bad about, all the things that have happened in your life, all the sins are forgiven and wiped out. Today, this bread reminds us of his forgiveness. Scripture also says on the same night, Jesus took a cup. He said the blood of the grape represents the blood I'm shedding for you. I'm giving my life for yours. I give my life for you because nobody loves you like I love you. No other man, no other woman will ever love you as much as Jesus Christ has already demonstrated his love for you. We thank him for what he's done for us, for the reminder of the heart transformation that he offers to us. While you're seated there, I encourage you that if you haven't accepted Christ, that you would say yes to him. You heard about his love for you today. Say yes to Christ. Draw near to him. Repent of the things that you have done and tell him that you receive what he has already provided for you. Sing this. He is i
Let's stand together. Focus on the cross. He is Father, today we give you praise and we thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the one-time sacrifice that changed the world forever. Thank you for that sacrifice, not just what, what happened so long ago, but thank you, Lord, that it's happened freshly in my heart. We receive today that you stood in our place, took our punishment, brought freedom to us. Help us to live in that freedom, Lord, in a right relationship with you, with a brand new identity and how you have overcome death and Satan and all that comes against us in the world. Help us today to celebrate what you have done for us on your cross. Today, think of this piece of bread as a reminder of the broken body of Jesus Christ, the one who came from heaven on our behalf. Let's eat this today in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Finally, the cup, this juice from the grape, reminds us, as Jesus said, of his shed blood for us. We receive today the salvation, the transformation that he brings to us, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Let's be very, very thankful as we praise Him together. <laughs> 